Well, some of you may have just learned for the first time that Thomas is going to be moving in a few weeks. Thomas, we are going to miss you so much, brother. And uh, I want to ask our church to pray. These, these are big shoes to fill. It's not easy. If you go out there and look for churches that are looking for those to lead music, uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of them. God was just so kind to give us one of the best. And I know he wouldn't want me to say that, but he is. He's been one of the best. And I'm going to ask the church, let's pray. Uh, these are opportunities to ask God to provide or to walk in fear. And Thomas and I, of all places, the first conversation we had about you leading music here was in a hotel room in Myrtle Beach. It's a crazy place to find a guy to lead music for a church plan. God was so gracious to provide. Uh, so church, do be praying for who would come and minister and serve in this spot next. As we come to hear God's word, let's bow and pray right now. Lord, we ask this morning, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would change us. God, we want to be different. We want to grow closer to you. We want to be more than just familiar with your word, Lord. We want to grow in our faith this morning. And so we pray you'd overcome whatever's in our mind and heart that could be a barrier to hearing your word and being shaped and changed. And Lord, we pray this morning you'd come and work for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. What do you do when you pray for something, and you wait, and you keep praying, and you wait, and nothing changes? Sometimes our greatest test is time. Time passes, and things seem not to, to change. It's easy to grow anxious. We pray and wait, and we pray and we wait, and things don't change. When our prayers don't seem to be answered, it's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to become discontent. It's easy to grow bitter. It's easy to look around and perceive the ways that God might be blessing someone else. And easy to become jealous, to become discontent or discouraged, to start blaming others or to start blaming yourself or situations. The, the harsh reality is that waiting is hard. Waiting on God to work in our lives, to work around us, it's, it's difficult and it requires faith and patience. And again, sometimes the testing of our faith involves the test of waiting. How long will we trust the Lord? How long will we continue to pray? How long will we wait and walk in obedience as we trust the Lord? Well, brothers and sisters, the, the Christian life is a life of waiting. Like one of my friends wrote an album called The Waiting Room. Describing a little bit of the Christian life, what life is like down here, that we're caught up in a kind of, of waiting room. I wonder when the last time you've been in a waiting room is, waiting to see a doctor, uh, waiting for your name to be called. And he pictured our life as Christians as waiting in a waiting room, but it's not a, a waiting room where we're alone. It's not a waiting room where no one's aware of our needs or our concerns. It's a waiting room where we have the very presence of God, His Word, His Spirit to guide us. And this morning, we think about this life of waiting as we consider the life of, of Abram. The, the challenge in the Christian life is, like we considered last week, we, we fight from victory. The victory's already been decided. Back at Calvary, with Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, the victory is sure, has been sealed. Nothing can ever take away from the work, finished work of Jesus Christ. Nothing needs to be added to the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross is sufficient to bring us to God. It's sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins against the holy God we've sinned against. Sin has already been paid for. 
Satan has already been defeated, yet we must wait. The battle's not over yet. As Christians, we have the promise of victory over the world, but the fulfillment of that promise is a ways off. The end is sure, nothing can change that, and yet we wait. And while we wait down here in the waiting room, we'll know trials, we will know suffering. We at times will wrestle with fear, but there's good news. You don't wait alone if you know the Lord. Those who believe God have the power of His presence and the power of His Word. And that's what we see on display in the story about Abram this morning in Genesis chapter 15. Turn with me if you haven't already. We're continuing to make our way through the book of Genesis. We're in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 15 this week. That's on page 10 of your pew Bibles if you want to turn in your pew Bible. Uh, the best way to stay engaged in the sermon this morning is just to open up a copy of the Bible. And uh, if that Bible that you have right there in front of you is the only Bible that you own, uh, the only Bible that you possess, excuse me, right now, take it home with you. We want you to own that Bible. Uh, we want you to have it to read to learn more about who God is. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 15 this morning. Let me read for us all of this passage as we begin. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him, he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now God's covenant with Abram was first established in chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. We were there a few weeks back. There were promises given of all that God would do to bless Abraham. I will, I will, I will. He didn't say, Abraham, you need to do this and I'll do that. God just simply said, I will. Here's what I will do. Here's who I am. Here's what I promise to do in your life. He promised to make Abram a mighty nation. He promised to give him land and promised to give him descendants. The problem was Abram didn't have a son. His wife Sarah was barren. So he's receiving this word of the Lord, a promise of what God will do, which necessarily required a descendant for God to open up the womb of his wife, Sarah. He received those promises in chapter 12, and since that moment, there were mountaintop type of moments of faith where Abram heard, and he followed, and he obeyed God's word. And then there were also low points of fear and deep failure where, where Abram struggled to believe God. And through it all, God remained faithful to protect Abram, to rescue him. Yet the problem remains that Abram and his wife Sarah have no child. They're without an heir. Ten years of waiting. That's a long time to pray. Ten years. It means if you started praying right now and still in 2031, you hadn't received an answer to your prayer, would you keep praying? Would you keep believing? Well, that's the spot that Abram is at when we pick up in chapter 15. He's growing fearful. A time of, of waiting on God is an opportunity either for faith or for fear. And in the waiting room, waiting for God to work, God moved toward Abram. 
Now, Abram's faith is a model for our faith. That's the reason that Moses, the narrator of Genesis, is presenting this whole book. It's to comfort God's people and their faith. And as we consider Abram's faith this morning as a model for our faith, I want us to see two lessons on faith contained in this passage. That's our outline for this morning, two lessons on faith. The first lessons there in verses 1 through 5, God comforts our faith through his word and prayer. The first lesson on faith in verses 1 through 5, God comforts our faith through his word and prayer. Notice the phrase this chapter begins with, after these things. These things meaning what we've just read. There we go. Eye contact. Here we go. What we just read in chapter 14, after an amazing victory over foreign kings that Abram couldn't have won on his own, after the rescue of Lot from captivity, after an encounter with Melchizedek where Abram was blessed, after refusing the offer from the king of Sodom and living only for God and his glory, what would happen after these things for Abram? Well, in this passage, we read that after these things came fear and doubt and skepticism. Maybe not the way we wanted the story to be written, but that's what we see happens after these things. You see, sometimes trials and temptations come on the strongest after success, after victory. And we get the realistic picture of wrestling with doubt and struggling to live by faith as we look at the life of Abram. We, we clearly see that Abram walks by faith, but we also see that he is pestered by fear. And here in chapter 15, Abram's tested as time goes on and nothing seems to change with his childlessness. He's tempted to fear. He's tempted to despair. He's tempted to doubt. And something to notice is that we don't see Abram as the initiator of this interaction with the Lord. This is a conversation with God. And notice it's not Abram that initiates the conversation, but it's God himself. So it's not like Abram was having a hard week. He was really struggling, and he just kind of tucked away in his prayer closet and approached the Lord. In fact, it's the other way around. God made the first move there in verse 1. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Again, what it seems that Abram was fearing, and from what we read here contained in this chapter, he's still without a child. He's fearing the outcome of God's promise to make him into a mighty nation. You see, in the world that Abram lived in, to not have a child meant there was no one to preserve your family inheritance. It meant that when you got old, there was no one to provide for you. It wasn't Social Security back then, right? You didn't have one to provide for you but your kids. There would be no one to protect you when your strength started to fail. It was important that there would be a descendant that would come and secure your inheritance. Something to notice is that God knew what was going on inside of Abraham side of Abram. God saw that Abram was troubled by fear, and God moved toward him. You see, God knows what's going on inside of you this morning. The person sitting next to you may not. They may not know what's going on in your mind, in your heart, but God does. You may not know what's going on in your mind and heart. Sometimes people ask you how you're doing, and you don't know how to answer. I don't want to act like everything's great, and I'm just doing, doing good, or like the standard answer, like, fine, doing well better than I deserve, and it sounds good. What do I say? 
Do, do I know what I feel like? Do I know why I'm anxious? Do I know what I'm feel, feeling? Do I know how to describe what I feel or why the way I feel the way I do? You may not know why you're anxious or, or fearful, but God does. And God cares. Because he's full of power. He's also merciful. And he's kind. And he deals gently with his children. Yes, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Yes, he is the God most high, transcendent, reigning on the throne. And with this glorious transcendence, God has drawn near to his people. That's what we're reminded of in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has come near in the person of God the Son. With this glorious transcendence of God, he's drawn near to his people. He cares about his people. He watches over the details of our lives. He cares about our circumstances, and he initiates to us that we would come to him. God drew near in his word in verse 1, and his word came in the form of a vision. It's different from a dream. We won't get a lot of details about this vision, but this vision was simply the delivery system for the word of the Lord. And the word used to comfort Abram was, fear not, I am your shield. I'm your protection. I'm your protection and your provision, your shield and your reward. And so the word of the Lord in that moment, it called Abram's eyes to be lifted up out of his circumstances, out of his fear to look to who God is and what he will do. He will protect you and he will provide for you. Well, think about this. How much of your fear from this past week was rooted in these two categories, these two questions? Will God protect me? Will God provide for me? Will God protect me? Will God provide for me? And the answer, the comfort that God brings to Abram addresses both those categories. I'm your shield. I will protect you. He doesn't say I'm like a shield. Think of me like a shield, Abram. No, he says I am your shield. I'm your defender. I'm your protector. The same God who created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word, you have me as your shield. You can come to me as a refuge and draw strength. The same God who flooded the earth and holy judgment, you have this God as your shield, as your defender, as your protector, as your defense. Abram, I will provide for you. Your reward is sure. It shall be very great. You might feel like it's insecure. You might feel like it's in jeopardy. It's not. Your reward will be great. My protection and my provision are sure. Friends, that is God's grace in drawing near. And in verses 2 and 3, Abram's fear is revealed as his words focus on what God's not given him. So again, the first time we see Abram speaking directly to God in the book of Genesis, this is what we hear in verse 2. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And then in verse 3, behold, you've given me no offspring. Not very good first words to speak to God, right? Again, like this story doesn't make much of Abram. It doesn't make much about the intensity of faith of individuals. It makes much about God and his kindness and his faithfulness. You see, Abram has the promise of becoming a mighty nation. All nations of the earth will be blessed through him. But again, he's without child, he's without heir, and he was fearful and troubled. And if you read this story for the first time, you might get to this point and you might think, how frustrating. Abram, you're so ungrateful. 
God got you out of a mess that you created in Egypt. Your wife was gone and he got her back. He got you out of there not only with your wife, but with all sorts of possessions, increasing your wealth. The Lord appeared to you personally. He spoke directly to you. He gave you promises. He gave you victory over King Keterleomer. You got to hang out with that guy Melchizedek and get blessed by him. And now in the first scene that you're seeing that talking directly to God, this is what you say. Look at what you haven't given me, God. How frustrating. Oh, brother and sister, how often can we relate to that? God has been so gracious to us. He's provided everything that we need. He's so patient and kind with us. And despite all that God has blessed us with, all that God's done for us, we struggle with complaining. We struggle with being discontent. Like what God has done is never enough for us. It's never enough to satisfy us. Rather than giving thanks, we think about what we haven't been given or what someone else has been given. Or far too often, if we're honest, this is our attitude and it, it shouldn't be. But there's good news. God doesn't see the story of our lives and get frustrated with us. He tenderly moves toward his people. If this is the way that God was with Abram, then that's the way that God is with you. You've put your faith in Jesus. Tender, compassionate, reaching out to his people, assuring us of his goodness. With his staff, comforting us and leading us away from places of ungratefulness and leading us back into his continual care. Well, first God comforted Abram not to fear. And then in verse 4, he details how he will provide for Abram. Look at verse 4. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. God told Abram, you'll have a son for an heir. He's giving him more detail. He's already told him, I'm going to make you into a great, great nation. Now I'm going to do it through a son. And then in verse 5, the Lord took him outside and gave him another visual. Back in chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord had promised to make Abram a great nation. In chapter 13, the Lord used the dust or the sand on the ground as a visual to show how great the fulfillment of this promise of descendants would become. And now here in verse 5, the Lord takes him out and points up to the stars in the sky. More details are given, another visual given of just how great Abram's descendants will be. There will be so many that just like the stars in the sky, you will not possibly be able to count them. Think about God's grace. Abram had already been given the promise that to take a look at the dust on the ground. So as he was traveling around the earth, he'd see the dust on the ground and have a visual reminder, God has promised my descendants are going to be scattered across the face of the earth like this. Now he could look down and he could look up at night and see a visual reminder in the sky of God's faithfulness. Now you got to get outside of the city lights to see the stars in the sky. I mean, you got to get out past Waxhaw to see the stars in the sky at night. But if you get outside of the city lights, I remember one time standing actually Peter Barwick and I at the Grand Canyon, all we could see were just stars scattered about. And for city folks, it's hard to imagine. Just a, a, a sky filled with stars. You can't number them. You can marvel at them. You can know that God knows every single one of them that are there. And he's giving this visual to Abram as he travels. Look up. Look up out of your circumstances. Be reminded of my faithfulness. Be reminded of the plan that I have. I'm the one that put every star in the sky by the power of my word. As indeed my word is sure, my promises will come to pass. 
See, Abram stood there at that time without child and was assured by the word of the Lord that God would be faithful to his promise. Now, the New Testament reveals this promise was fulfilled both before Christ and after Christ. The promise was fulfilled through his son Isaac and the nation of Israel. Yet the promise made long ago would ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the church. And Christian, brother and sister in the Lord, those who have repented of their sin and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are one of those stars in the sky that God promised to Abram if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are numbered among Abram's descendants, born as a child of the promise. You see, Abram heard God's word on several occasions. He was strengthened, but he needed to keep hearing God's word. He needed his faith to be comforted. He was in need of reminders and assurance from God's word. And brother and sister, you and I are in need of regular reminders from the word of God. There may be a lot that we know in the Bible. We might be familiar with God's word. You might know the book of Genesis better than I do. You might be more familiar with it. But it's something entirely different to be familiar with God's word than to walk in faith and to follow God's word, to believe what God has said. Now, Abram, he's representative of God's people. God spoke to him, and, and he spoke to God. And if you look at this, sometimes it can be hard to identify with this. Like, all right, Abram's here. God's talking to him. He's talking back to God. Okay, I wish my life were like that. Wait a minute. I'm a Christian. My life is like that. God's given me his word contained in the pages of the Bible. I can open it at any time. Never in the history of mankind has there been the type of access to the word of God that you and I have. We can pull it up on our phone. We can listen to it audibly, read in all different sorts of languages. We have the opportunity to open God's word and to hear his voice regularly. And the question is, how often will we give ourselves to hearing the word of the Lord? Wait a minute, I am like Abram, I can pray to God. I can speak to him. I can share my concerns. I can share my troubles with God. I come in the name of Jesus Christ and I can cast my cares upon the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when we read these narratives and stories, you need to know this. God still speaks to his people today. He speaks through the Bible. God still hears his people today. He hears our prayers. He's not deaf to our prayers. His mercy seat is open still. And so the good news is this. Bring your lament, bring your fear, bring your doubts, bring your disappointments to the Lord. I read a book this summer called Enjoying God by Tim Chester. Wonderful book. I would commend it to you. He, he gives just some very simple prayer advice in there that's been useful for me. He said, think about prayer as having a conversation with God. Now, I know good Reformed folks, we don't often think about that, like having conversations with God. That may not seem entirely reverent. But it's entirely reverent and entirely appropriate for God's people to come before him and just cast your cares upon him and have a conversation with him in such a way where you're detailing what's going on in your mind and heart that's troublesome, what you're struggling with, what your burdens are. And cast them before the Lord and ask for his help. Have you thought about prayer like that, having a conversation with God, your Father, in heaven? It's a good thing to go and talk to friends. Like the hymn we sang this morning, what a friend we have in Jesus. I wonder how often we pass up talking to God in prayer, and rather we look for a person next to us to go talk to and get comfort from them. How often do we go to a friend to vent and to complain 
and forfeit the opportunity to come before the Lord and to pray. Brother and sister, if we're to grow and be comforted in our faith, we must give ourselves to the Word and to prayer. Having faith doesn't mean we never doubt. Walking by faith doesn't mean we never have concerns. We can relate to Abram sometimes. Time passes and our trials remain the same. We pray and we pray and we don't get the answer we're praying for. Our faith is tested and we start to grow fearful. And it's in that moment that God invites us to draw near to Him through listening to His Word and through prayer. Well, I wonder, how often did you hear God's voice this past week? How often did you speak with God this past week? How much more of Him do you want today? How much more of Him do you want this week? We are in need of of regular reminders and encouragement in our faith. Brother and sister, let's help one another seek the Lord for comfort that is found in His Word and in prayer. Well, the second lesson I want us to see in this passage this morning is in verse 6. Lesson number 2, God counts righteous those who walk by faith. God counts righteous those who walk by faith. This verse answers one of the most important questions you can ask. How can I be made right with God? Genesis 15, 6 helps us understand the relationship between faith and righteousness. Now, this isn't the first place in the Bible that we see faith that produced righteousness, but this is a clear passage that teaches this important theological truth, and it's a passage that's quoted in several books in the New Testament. Let's look at verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Back in chapter 12, we first saw the word of the Lord came to Abram to leave his father's house, to go to the land that God would show him, And Abram believed back then, and he left in faith back in chapter 12, which is around 10 years prior to what we read here in chapter 15. So this isn't the first time that Abram believed God. I don't believe this is his conversion story. Yet here Moses, the narrator of Genesis, makes a clear and definitive statement about the relationship of faith and righteousness before God. And he simply states, Abram was counted righteous by God because of his faith. Because of his belief. Now, three words that stand out in this short verse. Believed, counted, righteousness. Three important words in the short verse. Believed, counted, righteousness. Let's work backwards through these three words and begin with righteousness to consider what this means. One of the best definitions I've heard of righteousness is this. Righteousness is a life that conforms to what is right in God's eyes. Righteousness is a life that conforms to what is right in God's eyes. Righteousness encompasses right belief, right thinking, right actions. A righteous life is a godly life. It's a life that pleases God. We're told in Hebrews 11 that without faith, without faith in Jesus, it's impossible to please God. We know on the final day of judgment, you and I are either going to be declared righteous or unrighteous. What we'll see in the rest of Genesis is that Abram's life 
will be seen as righteous by his deeds, to be sure. We'll see righteous deeds in his life. We get a clear picture of that when he's called to sacrifice his son Isaac, that he obeyed God and walked by faith. Yet before his life is seen righteous by his deeds, he's counted righteous because of his faith. It's important for us to understand that. He's counted righteous before we see righteous deeds like what we find later on in the book of Genesis. Let's think next about this word counted. What matters most is not that you count yourself righteous. What matters most is not that your kids think you're righteous, that your grandkids think you're righteous, that your neighbor thinks you're righteous. What matters most is that God counts you righteous. His estimation, His judgment matters most. This word counted, just like it sounds, it's an accounting term. Your account when you're born into this world is sinful unrighteous. That, that's the problem. You don't have enough righteousness of your own to, to make right your life with the holy God who created you. Uh, you're sinful. We're all born into this world disobedient to God with, with sin in our lives. And every world religion tries to deal with the problem of sin. And most will tell you something like this. Well, if you just try hard enough to make up for the bad things you've done, if you can kind of muster up enough righteousness before God, well, then you'll have a good chance of being okay on that last day, that God will somehow see that good effort, He'll reward that, and He will accept you. That's not the message of the Bible, though. It's not the message of Christianity. You see, the message of Christianity tells us the bad news, that we're counted as unrighteous before God. Even our best efforts at righteousness are like filthy rags before the God who created us. You and I are born in this world counted among the unrighteous. We're in this category. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 tells us there is no one righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So the question is, how do we get from here to here? How do we get counted as being righteous in God's sight? Now, not, not only must you be forgiven of your sin against God, so certainly you must have the debt canceled, but you must also be counted righteous before a holy God. You can't stand before God is holy and perfect, righteous in all His ways, and have any form of, of sin in your life. You can't stand before a holy God. You're living in unrighteousness. But you can be counted righteous by this God if, like Abram in verse 6, if you turn to Him in belief. The final word there, believe, simply put, Abram heard God's word and he believed God. He trusted God. That's what it means to believe and to have faith, to trust God and his word. Believing the Lord encompasses faith in the Lord and faith in his word, faith in who God is and faith in what he has said. That's why Christians believe the Bible. We believe who God is and we believe what he said. We don't understand as a church, we can edit God's word. We don't have the authority to do that. That's his word. It's his holy word. We submit our lives to God's word. We can't edit it. We can't change it. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be added to. It doesn't need to be modified for people in the West. It doesn't need to be changed to make sense to fifth graders. God's word has been given to us, and we receive it for what it is. It's perfect. It's perfect to show us who God is, what he's done in Jesus, what he wants from us, what he expects of us how he's provided for us. 
And the faith that Abram had, he received the word of the Lord, he believed it. The faith of Abram was counted to him as righteousness. And this is important. This is what the New Testament looks back on and points to verse 6 of chapter 15 as the foundation for a very important theological doctrine, the justification by faith alone. It says this, it's not your deeds that get you counted righteous, but rather faith counts for righteousness. The unrighteous get counted as righteous when they believe God in that moment. John Calvin put it like this, Abram's faith was accepted by God instead of righteousness. Instead of righteousness. In the place of righteousness, Abram came by faith and was accepted. In other words, faith obtains a righteousness that you and I do not possess on our own. It obtains a righteousness, a perfect righteousness that comes from the throne of God. And so Genesis 15, 6 answers the question, were people saved the same way in the Old Testament that they are in the New Testament? Were people saved the same way before Jesus died and rose again than they are now? And the answer is yes. The basis upon which God counts people as righteous is their faith. This is how it was in the Old Testament. This is how it is today. It's how it was with Abram. And this is the only way that it can be with you and with me. If we are to be saved, we must believe God. Genesis 15, 6, this foundational verse for the doctrine of justification by faith alone as opposed to Justification by faith plus works. We see here people are justified by believing, not by what they do. You're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And this verse is quoted three times in three different letters. Romans 4, Galatians 3, James chapter 2. It would be worth your time to go back and read these three chapters today or later this week. Romans 4, Galatians 3, and James chapter 2. In Romans 4, Paul taught Gentiles and Jews are saved and counted righteous by their faith. Simple argument in Romans 4. Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul taught those of faith are the sons of Abraham. To be a part of God's blessing to Abram, you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's Galatians 3. And then James chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, we see that while faith and works are separate, Abram's faith is later seen in his good works, we see this genuine faith is accompanied by righteous deeds. You are saved by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. It's the message of James chapter 2. And the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11.8, says this, By faith, Abram obeyed. Faith and obedience, they go together. If you live your life in disobedience to God's word, you're not walking by faith. Christians walk by faith. We walk in obedience to God's word. So simply put, the teaching of the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament is this. Righteousness comes by faith. It's the way that it's always been. It's the way that it is today. Justification is by faith and not by works. It's by faith alone. And all who believe are children of God. Brothers and sisters, all that to say this. Simple verse 6, all that to say this. Abram's faith is the model for our faith. That's what Moses is trying to get across here in verse 6. Abram's faith is the model for our faith. 
if you and I are to be counted righteous before God, we must put our faith in Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we are so glad that you've come here. I hope you come back next week. Uh, we love having people here who want to learn more about who God is and what he's done and his son Jesus. You are welcome to be here. You need to know this. If you learn anything from us today, it's this. It's not enough to try to live a good life. That won't get you counted righteous before God. It's not enough to try to leave here and do better. You will not be counted as righteous for that. You must believe God and put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if that's something that you want to do today, if you want to get right with God today, talk to someone who invited you. Talk to someone who's sitting next to you. It's an urgent decision to make that you would receive Christ and forgiveness for your sins against God and free righteousness. Don't leave here today. Don't leave this property without talking to a Christian here who could help you understand more of what it looks like to be made right with God. And for those who are here this morning and you're a Christian and you're in the Lord, I think it's important for us to understand how we walk in righteousness is to live by faith. Like Abram, we've been given promises from God. Like Abram, we've already tasted and seen and known God's goodness, yet we've not finally received all that has been promised. We're not home yet. We're almost there. Today is one day closer, but we're not home yet. And in between today and that day we go to be home with the Lord, we will be tempted to despair, we'll be tempted to fear, we'll be tempted to grow weary of the trials of this life. But the same God who gave us faith to begin with, we're comforted, will sustain our faith until the end. We believe God. We're preserved by His grace to keep on believing Him. The one who counted you righteous to begin with will keep you in righteousness until the end. The one who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. That's what we believe. Our faith is not in ourselves, in our own wisdom. Our faith is in God and in His power. In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, we read the good news that those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. What that means is you cross the finish line. He carries you across until the end. Our comfort is found in Him. And brother and sister, the path of perseverance, it involves regularly being comforted in your faith. How much will you give yourself to hearing God's word this week? How much will you give yourself to speaking to him in prayer this week? The path of perseverance necessarily goes through his word and prayer. And the path of perseverance necessarily involves continued belief. I leave you with the word of Charles Spurgeon who puts it so much better than I could. There is no saint here who can outbelieve God. God never outpromised himself yet. Not a saint here who can outbelieve God. God never outpromised himself yet. Brother and sister, let's take God at his word. Let's pray for a growing faith in our life. Let's pray that we are a people shaped by God's word. 
you know, we're, we're living in a time of national trial. And one of the best quotes I heard this past week was from a pastor friend in Indianapolis. He said, it is a great time to be a Christian if you'll act like it. It is a great time to follow Jesus if you'll act like it. You'll act like one who depends on the Lord, that is in need of his help and his wisdom, who trusts in his word and comes to him for help. Let's bow and pray and ask him now. Lord, we pray that we would be those who act like Christians, who act like those who believe your word, who are reminded of our need for help and for wisdom and for mercy, who are reminded of the power of your word, that you never outpromise yourself, God. So help us not to think we can outbelieve your word. God, we ask for your grace and your help to nurture our faith, to draw near to us, to comfort us and to guide us. We pray you'd work in us this week for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.